in front of my notes this morning, sometimes I'll write a note from God to me, you know, being a little presumptuous there that he would say to me. And, and, and what he said this morning to me was, I got this, Steve. Do your job. That's all I ask. Trust me, the move is only I can move. And I'll tell you what, worship was so powerful in here, right? I mean, because worship is about us coming into God's presence. And uh, I, I, I want to read a passage of Scripture because I think it's a good idea to remind ourselves of who it is that we have actually gathered to worship this morning. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 20. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He exists before anything was created and is supreme. Someone say supreme. supreme. Over all creation. For through him, God created everything. In the heavenly realms and on earth, he made the things we can see and the things we cannot see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. Heavenly Father, we humbly come into your presence. We recognize that you are before all things, that you're over all things, and that you hold all things together. Jesus, we recognize that, that you died on the cross to save us and that you are supreme in everything, God. And no wonder 10,000 times 10,000 angels are at this very moment in heaven crying out before you, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is to come. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise forever and ever. For you created all things, and by your will they were created and have their being. And God, we lay this service before you, God. I pray we lean into your word. I pray you enable me to speak your word with power and clarity. I pray that because of what happens here, a difference will be made out there. In Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's do this. Now, this morning is Super Bowl Sunday. Sadly, the Patriots are not in it, which I know makes a lot of people sad. But anyhow, it, it makes me sad. I deserve that. They deserve that. They deserve that. But anyhow, the conversation today is called The Team, The Team, The Team. And I want to show you a video clip from 1983 where the Michigan coach was inspiring his guys before the championship game. And it's, his name is Bo, can't pronounce his last name, but here you go. Great speech, and guess what? They did win. They did win the game. Now, I'm sure you all have heard of the acrostic, right, for the word team, right? You know, together, everyone achieves more. Uh, together, together, everyone achieves what? Achieves more. Anybody like more? Who achieves more? Everyone. And how do we achieve more together? And listen, part of what makes a team so awesome and so powerful is something called synergy. I really like that word. It makes me sound, feel real smart when I say it. 
But it's an even cooler concept. You see, synergy basically means that the sum, the effects, the results of a high-functioning team are always greater than the sum of their individual abilities. In other words, we can do more working together than we can working by ourselves. Like individually, let's say we could lift 200 pounds for a total of 400, but together we can actually push up 500 pounds. That's synergy, that's team, that's awesome. Now later today, the Chiefs and the Eagles will face off in Super Bowl 57. And, and, and what is really awesome about this football game to me is that both Patrick Mahomes and Jalen Hurts are Christ followers. And, and this week in one of his news conferences, here, here's some, some of what Patrick Mahomes said. He says, my Christian faith plays a role in everything I do. I mean, I always ask God to lead me in the right direction. And let me be who I am for his name. It has a role in everything I do. And obviously, he'll be in the huge stage in the Super Bowl that he's given me. And I want to make sure I'm glorifying him while I do it. I don't know if you know this about the Chiefs, but in their home games, they actually, because some people don't go to church and they go to the stadium, they hold a chapel service every home game. And Mahomes attends it. But so people who are, are leaving to go to the game early are still able to go to church. Their owner is a strong Christian. Jalen Hurts uh, said this. I keep God at the center of everything, whether it's throwing touchdown passes or helping with charities that benefit children. I give him all the praise. I lean on him all the time. And I know that everything unfolds the way it's supposed to. I just want to set the right example. And I want to remember to someone who makes a difference for him. That's something I think about every day. And to be honest, I've really struggled with who to root for. And I'm sure that's really upsetting these two teams. And, and I haven't decided yet. I'll figure it out on kickoff who I want to win. But whoever wins, I guarantee either Jalen or Patrick is going to stand up there and give praise and glory to God. Amen? Amen. And no matter who wins, no matter who lifts up the trophy tonight, it will not be an individual win. It will be a team win. And over the years, there have been some really incredible sports teams. Here are a few of some of the very best, not in any specific order. What we have here is a picture of the UCLA Bruins, who under John Wooden won 10 national championships in 12 years. This picture is from 1973. Uh, they just won their seventh straight championship with back-to-back undefeated seasons, 88 wins in a row. And John Wooden kept something in his pocket to remind him of what really matters. Anybody know what it is or what it was? It was a, a cross. Next team is the Boston Celtics. They were a dynasty in the NBA from 1957 to 1969, led by coach Red Auerbach and center Bill Russell. They won 11 championships in 13 years. New York Yankees, and I must give some props to the evil empire. They've been to the World Series 40 times, which is pretty significant. There's only been 118 World Series. They've won it 27 times. Their best run was from 1949 to 1956 with Casey Stengel at the helm. They went to 10 World Series in a row. They won seven of them, and they actually won five in a row. Pittsburgh Steelers, from 1975 to 1980, won four Super Bowls. The Edmonton Oilers with Wayne Gretzky, from 1984 to 1990, won the Stanley Cup five times. And get ready to boo, hiss, and hate for the next team. 
from 2001 to 2019. New England Patriots won 16 division championships. They played in 13 championships games. They went to nine Super Bowls, and they won six of them. Way to go, team. And this final team, the 1980 U.S. hockey team. They took on the Soviet Union who had won four consecutive gold medals dating back to 1964 in the Olympics in Lake Placid in 1980. Uh, The the Soviet had recently beaten an all-star NHL team six to nothing. The U.S. team was full of 20 guys, age 21 or younger, playing together for six months. The Soviet Union had been playing together for decades, and yet they won four to three in what is known as the miracle on ice. Herb Brooks, their coach, said this. I like it. When you put on that jersey, the name on the front is a lot more important than the name on the back. When you put on that jersey, the name on the front is a lot more important than the name on the back. Those are some great teams. But not only do we see a lot of great teams in sports, we see a lot of great teams in the Bible. Teams that were competing not just for a championship or to lift a trophy, but for the glory of God. Question, when you think of great biblical teams, what teams pop in your mind? Like, what teams had great synergy? I think the very first one in the Bible is the team of Noah and his three sons. I mean, these three guys, without a single power tool, built a ship that was 450 feet long, 70 feet wide, 45 feet high. That's big. Not to mention bringing all those animals and saving the human race. Another great team is the team of Moses and Aaron. Two brothers, both in their 80s, standing side by side, helping deliver a million plus people from Egyptian slavery, armed with only their faith and a staff. They brought the mighty Egyptian empire to its knees. And in Daniel, we read about this team of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Three guys who stood together, refused to bow, survived the fiery furnace, and whose faith caused a pagan king, Nebuchadnezzar, to turn to God for a time. Another great team would be Nehemiah and his wall-building team. This amazing team, led by Nehemiah, rebuilt the walls of Jerusalem that had laid in ruins for 150 years. I mean, for a century and a half, no one was able to get the job done. And then Nehemiah and his team came together, and they rebuilt those walls in just 52 days. The Old Testament is full of great teams. I can think of one guy in the Old Testament who tried to go it alone. It did not work out so good for him. Maybe you've heard of him. His name was Samson. In the New Testament, we have what I think is the, the greatest team, not only in Scripture, but in all human history, the disciples in the early church. I mean, talk about synergy. Just a bunch of regular guys, no superstars, zero first-round picks, just a bunch of blue-collar, ordinary men, who loved Jesus, who loved each other, and were committed to his mission. And listen, if you want to see a picture of this unstoppable team in action, all you have to do is turn to the book of Acts. From 11 guys terrified behind locked doors, they formed a community of believers that literally turned the world upside down. I understand, this team, these people, were radically devoted to God and his word. Whatever God told them to do, they did. Whatever God told them to stop doing, they stopped doing. Wherever God told them to go, they went. And when the government told them, stop talking about Jesus or die, they literally chose death, and thousands died. 
I mean, one guy on this team, when he was interviewed on his way to Jerusalem, knowing that he could face death there, said this, but my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it for finishing the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus Christ. The work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. I am ready, not only to be bound, but also to die in Jerusalem for the name of Jesus. Yes, no doubt about it, the greatest team on the face of the planet, my all-time favorite team, is the church. The body and bride of Christ, the hope of the world. In fact, we are in this room today, February 12, 2023, because of what this team did 2,000 years ago. Get it? Good. And you know, I wonder, I wonder, like, who will be here in the future because of us and because of our commitment to this team and to the mission of Jesus? Brothers and sisters, what I'm trying to say is I love the church. I love the local church because the local church is a church. Yes, I love the church. I love Maple Grove. Not the building, but this group of messed up Jesus followers who meet in this room every week and are doing the best they can to pursue Jesus, to be more like Jesus, and to become in our world what Jesus was in his world. Yeah, I'm excited about where we are, about what God is doing in our midst, and about where he wants to take us in the weeks, months, and years ahead. Because there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. I've always loved and been moved and motivated by this quote by a guy named Bill Hybels. He says this, there's nothing like the local church when it's working right. Its beauty is indescribable. Its power is breathtaking. It comforts the grieving and heals the broken in the context of community. It builds bridges to seekers. It offers truth to the confused. It provides resources for those in need and opens its arms to the forgotten, the downtrodden, and the disillusioned. It breaks the chains of addictions, frees the oppressed, and offers belonging to the marginalized of this world. Whatever the capacity for human suffering, the church has a greater capacity for healing and wholeness. He concludes, still to this day, the potential of the local church is almost more than I can grasp. Nothing on earth is like the church. Nothing comes even close. And you know, when I, when I look at Maple Grove, I see two churches. At first, I see the church that we are, and I thank God for that picture. I, I'm thankful for the awesome elders that we have in Steve Bailey and Jeff Ainge. They're godly men. They love the Lord. They love his word. They love their families. They love this church, and they're a great example of what it looks like to be a servant leader. I'm thankful for the amazing staff that we had. I mean, what more can I say? I understand you will not find two ladies who love God, this church, and young people more than Hannah and Laurie do. I'm thankful for the incredible spirit and the atmosphere of acceptance you feel the minute you walk into this building. I'm thankful for the people leading and serving in our various ministries, life group leaders, children's ministry, student ministry, kids outdoor zone, guest services, compassion team, monthly mission meal, praise team, finance team, and all the other teams. And listen, if you're not currently serving on a team, we need your help to get the job done. There's an insert in your bulletin about the various ministries and who you can contact. You know, fill out a connection or let us know. And, and here's the deal. 
It's okay to try before you buy. Like, it's okay to test drive a ministry and find out if you like the ride, right? And, and, and one thing, you know, um, <clears throat> praise team and Grove kids always need help, right? Always looking for new team members. And I'm thankful for the growing desire we have to reach outside of this building more and more and more. Compassion Sunday. Compassion Saturday is coming up this spring. For the compassion buckets, those blue buckets that we drop money in, that is right, thousands of dollars for people in our community, for utility bills, for rent, for refrigerators, for stoves. I'm thankful for the Adopting families at the Laurel this Christmas. We provided, you know, what, 50 Christmas presents. The partnership with Ebenezer Baptist Church. We helped provide 50 meals for needy families. And for this new endeavor, you know, at Baker Butler, where students will be able to take food home, they'll be eating food because you cared enough to bring a few canned goods for them. I want to encourage you. I, I, I want to cause a storage problem at Baker Butler for the food we bring. I wanted to say, hey, could you guys stop bringing food? We got no more room for it. Can you store it for a while? I mean, let's blow them away at how much we care about our community and how much we want kids. I mean, can you imagine being the parent and knowing that since your child's not in school, he's not going to be eating the free lunches or whatever they get, and you're not going to be able to feed your child? That has to be horrible. Well, you know what? We don't want that to happen because they're our neighbors, amen? We want to help them take care of that. I'm thankful for the partnerships we have outside this building through our missions, providing tens of thousands of dollars to eight different missions. I'm thankful for Love, Inc., which mobilizes local churches to meet the needs of people in our community. I'm thankful for Christ in Youth, an organization that trains up and equips thousands of students every year to be kingdom workers. I've gone to more Christ in Youth conferences than I can count, and I've led several of their international mission trips. I'm thankful for Waypoint Church Partners, they plant churches every year in Maryland, Virginia, North Carolina. They help existing church get healthier. And thousands of people have come to Christ through these church plants. I'm thankful for Advancing Native Missions over in Afton, Virginia. What they do is they support 8,500 missionaries in 80 countries, indigenous missionaries that bring the gospel to them. I'm thankful for Mountain Mission School located in Grundy, West Virginia. It serves infants through high school, from Virginia all over the world. Children are referred to that maybe they're in poverty, they divorced, they've been abandoned, they've been abused or neglected. And listen, Mountain Mission School is not just their school, it's their, it's their home, it's their family, it's their church. And 20,000 children have been given hope and family since their founding. I'm thankful for Life Spring, which is a new name for the pro-life pregnancy center in our community. Understand, there are hundreds of children alive today, learning to walk, ride a bike, playing soccer, laughing with their friends, and eating bowls of ice cream because of this ministry in our community. They're alive today because of that ministry. Amen? I'm thankful for Mid-Atlantic Christian University that trains young men and women to be kingdom workers in the local church and in missions and in various places in society. Their mission statement is simply this. Mid-Atlantic Christian University is an institution of Christian higher education whose mission is to impact the world by transforming ordinary people into extraordinary Christian leaders. I'm thankful for, a lot of ways, John and Hannah Malone. That's my son. Uh, he works with a mission organization called Pioneers 
And what John and Hannah are doing, they're supporting support and development for 12 teams located in 12 different cities from Detroit to Tampa. Three of these teams work specifically with international students. Three teams work with refugees from Afghanistan, and there's a, a major Uyghur population in Washington, D.C., working with these refugees. Matter of fact, through, this, through these teams working with Afghans, the Afghans now have 12 churches have been planted, and they had zero churches planted before this happened the last three years. The remaining six teams work with established immigrant communities, like the Muslim population in, in Dearborn, Michigan, or the, Somali, or the Somali population in Columbus, Ohio, to establish churches there. Matter of fact, when I talked to John this week, you know, to get a better understanding of what he's doing, he was on his way to a Somali, wall, Somali mall in Ohio to meet with the team there and then meet, eat some Somali food, he said, and meet a bunch of Somalis there. And here's the deal. Whenever these teams have a victory, guess what? We get to share in that victory because we are part of that team. Amen? That's exciting stuff. If you want to be on the missions team and you want to be the person who says, hey, I want to be in contact with that mission team. If they have a need, we need to pray for them. And we have to pray for a need right now. Um, Ray Klein is the leader of Love, Inc. And this past week, his wife, Tina, had a stroke. And she's in a hospital at Martha Jefferson. And I'm going to take a moment uh, to pray for Ray and, and Tina. Would you pray with me? Father God, uh, we love you. You see everything. You know everything. And God, we just come before you on behalf of, of Ray and, and Tina. God, we pray for healing for Tina. We pray for the doctors and nurses taking care of her through this stroke. God, we pray for Ray. That's his bride of 60 years come this May. I pray you give him comfort. I pray he feels your presence. God, God I, I pray that as they encounter people in the waiting rooms, in the hallways, in the cafeteria, and nurses and doctors and technicians, God, that people will see what it means to go through hard times and have Jesus in your corner. In Jesus' name, amen. Like I said, when I see Meg Grove, I see a picture of who we are, and I'm thankful, but I also see a picture of who God wants us to be and, and where he wants to take this team to fulfill his mission. Meg Grove is all about the team, the team, the team. Jesus spoke these words in John chapter 4, right after his encounter with the, the woman at the well. Uh, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. In, in other words, it's not time yet. <laughs> we have time to wait. We have time to wait before we reach out to that family member. We have time to wait before we reach out to that friend. We have time to wait before we share Christ with that neighbor. We have time to wait. Jesus says, but I say, wake up and look around. Someone say, wake up and look around. The fields are already right with harvest. He's like, hey, you guys, you guys would have walked right by that woman at the well. But she was ready. Not only to hear the good news, she was ready to take that good news to the town that had previously looked down upon her. The harvesters will pay good wages, and the fruit they harvest is people brought to in her life. What joy awaits, someone say what joy awaits, both the planter and the harvester alike. Understand, everybody needs Jesus. 
Listen, everybody has a right to know what we know, to have the hope that we have, and to experience the life that we get to experience. And listen, I'm convinced that countless people today who are living in this dark, broken, upside-down, chaotic, hopeless, rudderless world are with an unprecedented thirst searching for what truly satisfies. And I say, what a great time to be the church. Yes, we are so fortunate to live in a time like this in human history where people are looking for answers to life like never before. And listen, the places they have looked for life either have failed them or will fail them. And I say, what a great time to be the church. What a great time to lift up Jesus, who is the way, who is the truth, and who is the life. I love this picture of the church that John paints in Revelation chapter 22. The spirit of the bride say, come. Now the bride is us. And let him who hears come. Whoever is thirsty, let him come. Whoever wishes, let him take the free gift of the water of life. I understand. Our world is full of thirsty people. And the church, that would be me, that would be you, that would be us, has been given the task of taking living water to them so that they will never thirst again. Amen? And listen, if this living water is ever to get, there, get to them in a significant way, it's going to take a team. The team, the team, the team. It's only together that we'll rise and become the church that God always intends and that you and I have always dreamed to be a part of, together. We can't do it alone. We must do it as a team. Soldiers do not fight wars alone. Athletes do not win championships alone. CEOs of Fortune 500 companies did not get there alone. All around us in books and stories in life, we see the truth that together is better. Understand Frodo doesn't stand a chance against the evil power seeking the ring without Sam, Mary, Pippin, Gandalf, Aragon, and the rest of the fellowship. And Dorothy would not have made it very far down the yellow brick road without Scarecrow, the Tin Man, Lion, and of course, her little dog, Toto. We can't do it alone. And guess what? God never intended that we do it alone. Listen, we come together as one body, as a team. When each of us, as God commands through Paul in Ephesians 4, does our own part, we will achieve more. Ephesians 4, 15 and 16. Christ is the head of the body, the church, and he makes the whole body fit together perfectly. And as each part does its own special work, we all got a job, it helps the other parts grow so they, the whole body is healthy, growing, and full of love. Healthy, growing, and full of love. Does anybody want that to describe their life? That you're healthy, you're growing, and full of love? Do you want to see that describe Maple Grove, that, that we're healthy, and we're growing, and we're full of love? Well, how does it happen? As each part does its own special work, right? We all got a job to do. So what's the goal of this team? Like, what should we be striving to build here? Like, why we're here? What defines success and victory? What mountain are we trying to climb? What height are we trying to reach? What are the dreams that compel us to reach higher, to give more, to serve more, to sacrifice more? Brothers and sisters, when I dream about the kind of church that we could become, I see a place where the beaten, the turned off, the weary, and the broken are put back together again. I, I see a place where people with fears and skepticism about organized religion 
can come as they are and discover maybe for the first time that they really, really, really matter to God. And in turn, find a new and living hope in the person of Jesus Christ. I see a team that does life together where no one does life alone. I see real communities where masks are taking off and we quit pretending, we get real, and we get better. I see a team that really depends on God, spending great amount of time on our knees, crying out together to the one who's able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask, think, or imagine. I see a team consumed by the truth that everyone is going to spend eternity somewhere. And because this truth consumes us, we'll do whatever it takes to make sure that as many people as possible get to spend eternity with Jesus. And because we tremble at the thought of them leaving this life without him. This week, one of our readings in John, was John chapter 3, and we, we all love John 3.16, Right? I love John 3.16. We'll probably see a sign tonight, John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. John 3.18 is not as fun. Whoever does not believe in him stands condemned already. Already. That friend, that family member, that neighbor, that co-worker, Right? Because that consumes us, right? You know, I see a church where we really begin to pray every day with passion. Lord, pray for one. Lord, give me one person that I can share your love with today. I see a team that kindly breaks out of the walls of this building that becomes a constant visible force in our community. A church that has such an impact that if we ever to close their doors, not only will they notice and don't have a place to park their car, right? But they go, hey, you guys can't leave. We need you so much. I see a team where everybody's striving to get better and better and better at what Jesus says matters most. Loving God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving our neighbor as ourself, right? And yeah, you got to love yourself. Guess what? God does. I see a team full of people who, like Abraham, say, Lord, even though I don't know all the details, even though I don't know where you're asking me to go, I'll say yes and leave it all to go with you. People who, like Caleb and Joshua, realized that God's church was not meant to merely exist in the wilderness of mediocrity. People who, who see the promised land, who long to conquer it, and who fear no giants. I see a team that takes risks, that steps out, that puts it on the line. A team that prays bold prayers, fears God, is open to the Spirit, and lives courageous lives of adventures for our Savior King. I see a team where everyone is passionate about being in the Word, gathering on Sunday, doing life together, giving their offering, and using their talents, gifts, and abilities for the good of the team, the glory of God, and to be the light of the world. But I see a team that when the world looks at us, they know that something different is happening that cannot be explained by human effort or reasoning. I see a team that's no longer content to simply go to church, but wants to be the church where God adds to our number daily those who are being saved. Question, would anyone like to be on a team like that? A team that works together to fulfill those dreams? No doubt, about, no doubt about it, the greatest team on the face of the planet is the church of Jesus Christ. The greatest work taking place on this planet is the mission of the church. 
Seriously, can you think of another organization that redirects the eternities of lost men and women, giving them hope and freedom and life? And here's how I want to wrap up our, our, our time this morning. There's three things that I'm convinced that God wants to say to each of us today. Number one, get in the game. Get in the game. The game of joining God in this passionate pursuit of prodigal people. The game of reflecting his character, his goodness, and his purposes to a watching world so they might know him and find eternal life in him. And here's the deal. God did not have us put on his jersey for us just to sit in the stands, to hang out on the sidelines, or to tailgate in the parking lot. And so he put us in a jersey so that we will play the game, so that we'll do our own special work, that, so that we'll help this team grow and be healthy and full of love. And listen, what an incredible jersey we get to put on, right? Galatians 3.27, for all of you who have been baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. Understand, on his team, everyone is expected to play. And yeah, I get it. If you get in the game, it, it will require some sacrifice. And you'll take some hits. And you might miss a tackle every now and then. You might drop a pass. You might fumble the ball at the goal line. And yes, people who are anchored to their seats or standing on the sidelines will criticize you, will jeer you, and judge you. Nevertheless, the field is where the game is played. The field is where lives are changed and eternities are redirected. And listen, the field is where Jesus is. I understand the context of those encouraging words in Matthew 28, I'll be with you always to the very end of the age, or the context of his team fulfilling his mission, right? That's where he is. Again, today, February 12, 2023, God is saying, get in the game. This team needs you. Again, there's a handout. And hey, if you've been around Make a Row for a while, we're having a starting point today. We have plenty of food. I made two pans of my famous, world-famous brownie dessert, right? I got a testimony. Can I get a testimony, right? All right? But just hang out with us. Decision Sunday is going to be March the 5th, all right? We have some belong videos on our website that talks about who we are, what we believe. Get in the game. Run the place. Now imagine you're watching the Super Bowl tonight, cheering on your team that you want to win, and now imagine that all they did in the entire game was huddle. I mean, wouldn't you think there was something wrong with your team, Perry? <laughs> I mean, every time they get the ball, all they do is stand in a circle, holding hands, firing each other up, calling out the plays, but they never break the huddle. How long would you watch? Would they win the game? Now, is it wrong to huddle? huddle? Absolutely not. In fact, huddling is extremely important in playing the, and winning the game. But eventually, a team needs to break the huddle and run the play. And so do we as God's team. Amen? Remember, girl, let me tell you something. The world watches Christians every day following the churches Sunday after Sunday. And they notice that Christians huddle a lot. I mean, we hold hands, we fire each other up. We talk about highlight clips from the good old days. We try to create intricate plays that we might get around to running someday. And listen, all the while this is going on, there is a hellbound, Christless world saying and wondering, yeah, I know they can huddle, but can they play the game? Do they make a difference? Do they hold out hope? Do they spread the gospel of Jesus Christ? Do they feed the hungry? 
Did they clothe the poor? Did they take care of the less fortunate? Did they administer first aid to wounded hearts? Did they CPR, CPR and broken hearts? Do they welcome the outcast? Do they really care about the sinner and not just point out their sin? Do they walk with integrity? Do they leak out the scenes with contagious joy? Do they love the unlovely? Do they really love their families? Do they really love each other? Do they really love God? Do they really love me? Or they can huddle the world wonders, but can they play the game? Are they for real? And brothers and sisters, we come in here every week and we have some inspiring, challenging, and uplifting huddles. I love being a part of our huddles every Sunday. Let's keep them going. Let's keep making them better and better and better, more inspiring, more uplifting, more challenging. But understand, God didn't have us, have me and have you, put on his uniform, put on the jersey of Christ's righteousness, have us walk between the chalk lines just to huddle up here once a week. No, he wants us and commands us to run the plays, to actively and passionately live out our our vision, mission, core values, right? To live out following Christ and life-changing community. Live out that our mission, we seek the lost. How are you doing that? How am I doing that? How are we doing that? Make disciples, show compassion. We're rocking the compassion one pretty good. But that that three-legged chair, the legs aren't, aren't even. You know, we gotta live out Honoring biblical authority, depending on God, doing life together, engaging our culture, practicing excellence and faithful stewardship. Maple Grove, there really is a church that God wants us to be in 2023. Amen? There really is. Like he, you have dreams for your life, God has dreams for our lives for this church. And let me tell you, if those dreams depended on me solely and you solely, they're a pipe dream, whatever that means, right? They're a pipe dream. That just means that's not really going to happen, right? Get in the game, run the plays, listen to the coach. We need to be in constant communication with the coach through prayer and the word. Now, if you're watching the Super Bowl tonight, you'll notice that the quarterback and one guy on defense has a green dot on the back of their helmets. I got a picture of that. Only one I could find for some reason. Tom Brady, who knows, right? But you got this little green dot. Anyone know what that's for? That means this guy has a, a receiver in there and so that his coach on the sidelines can talk to him, right? And there's a guy on defense that'll have the same thing so the sideline can talk to him because they need to be in constant communication. In 2007, they put that on the quarterback. 2008, it went on a defensive guy. In like matter, we need to be in constant communication while we're playing the game for him for at least two reasons. Because we need to know what play he wants us to run. Number two, so we can hear his voice and get his perspective of the game. See, God sees things that we can't see. He sees the big picture, the final picture, the accurate picture. And listen, we really need his perspective because it is a very tough game. Because we have an enemy who lies about the game, who lies about who we are as a player, who lies telling us that we're not good enough, that the score is too lopsided, that we'll never, we'll never make it, that we might as well give up. And that's why we got to be in constant communication with God because he has a different perspective of the game. Get it? Good. My last football illustration, maybe. Okay. Got that next picture. Maybe. Oh, one more. 
beautiful. All right. Anybody know what that line is? First down. Is that really on the field? No. So, like, these dudes can't see it, right? They don't know where it is. And that's like God. And, and, and so, sometimes we can't see how close we are to our goal. And the enemy's telling us to quit. He's telling us to give up. And, and God says, hey, you know what? You're, don't stop. You're almost there, right? Or this guy here, like, hey, you know what? You're this close to stopping the guy. Don't give up. See, God sees what we can't see. See, God saw Israel walking around the walls, right? Six, one time he stayed for six days. Six times on day seven, right? And, and they're like, you know what? I might as well give up. Nothing's happening. But God says, don't quit on six, right? Don't quit on six because you never know what God's going to do. God has a perspective of the game that we do not have. And we're in his word in prayer. He'll give us that perspective. Yes, the church is the greatest team in human history. It's Christ's body. Today, God has told everyone who wears his uniform in this room or watching online, get in the game. Run the place. And stay in constant communication with me. Get it? Good. Maple Grove. Think about what a great thing it is to be part of something that is the team. The team. The team. We're going to win. We're going to win. Because we're going to play as a team. We're going to believe in each other. We're not going to criticize each other. We're not going to talk about each other. We're going to encourage each other. In Maple Grove, when we play as a team, the lost will hear the good news. People will get saved. The hungry will be fed. The lonely will find belonging. The broken will be made whole. The outcast will find a home. The drifting will find purpose. The searching will find truth. Change of addictions will fall. Prison doors of discouragement and depression will fling wide open. And his kingdom will expand across the earth. Amen. Father God, we love you. And God, I just pray right now that you do what only you can do. It's not my team. It's not the people in this chair team. It's your team. And God, I pray that we'll get in the game. We'll run your place. We'll stay in constant communication with you. And that you get all the glory. May your spirit move on us, God, in ways that we cannot even imagine. God, we believe in you. And that you're able to measure more than all we could ask or imagine. In Jesus' name, amen.